Hello and welcome back to the What Does It Say podcast. My name is Josh Halb, and today we're going to be in Job chapter 4. We're in the section of Job in which the Lord has allowed Satan to test Job. Uh, in chapter 1, we have the first part of this great test in which God has allowed Satan to take away all of Job's blessings. Job, in the first chapter, loses uh, his children. It loses a lot of his possessions. And then in the second chapter, God allows Satan to take away a lot of Job's health. And so, Job's friends, they come to him at the end of chapter 2. His friends are called, uh, in verse 11, their names are Eliaphaz, the Timnite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite. And so, these three friends decided that they were going to come together to comfort and sympathize with Job, the end of verse 11. And so they come, and when they see him, they are greatly dismayed. And so, they decide to sit there for seven days and seven nights, in verse fifteen, uh, in verse 13, and say nothing at all. But Job in chapter 3, as we saw in the last episode, in verse 1, afterward, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And so verse 1 of chapter 3 is kind of the summation or the summary of what Job says in that chapter. And so this is a new section in the book of Job from chapters 3 through, thir- through from chapters 3 through 37. We're going to see a lot of speeches by Job, his three friends, and a fourth friend named Elihu, who evidently joined this group either in chapter 2, verse 11, or in chapter 2, verse 13, during those seven days. And so we are going to see those uh, speeches that they have to offer. And really... What the friends and what Job say have a lot of error. There's a lot of things that they say that just aren't right. And the reason that they aren't right is partly because the friends don't listen to what Job's saying. These sections are based on the assumption that if you suffer, you are wicked, period. That if you suffer, you must have sinned somehow, some way, in some capacity. Whether you know you did or not, you just have to have done that. Because God does not punish righteous people. Now, to some degree, that is true. Do the wicked suffer or sin? Do the righteous, when they sin, have consequences? Absolutely. But, the problem is that all of these speeches are based on a false assumption. Have the friends, Job, have any of them heard directly from the Lord? Has God said, this is why you're suffering, Job? No. And so everything they say is based off of their own intellect, their own mind, and their own understanding, their own wisdom. And so... In chapter 3, as we noted, Job 
cries out, cursing the day of his birth. He wishes he was never born. But if he just had to be born for whatever reason, he wishes his mother would just cast him out and let him die so he could sleep in death and rest with all the other people who have died before him. And so, Eli, uh, and so Eliaphaz speaks up and begins this section of the friends responding to Job and Job responding to them. And so in chapter 4 and verse 1, I'll be reading from the New American Standard. It says, Then, Eli uh, then Eliaphaz the Timnite answered, If one ventures a word with you, will you become impatient? But who can refrain from speaking? Behold, you have astonished many, admonished many, and you have strengthened weakened hands. Your words have helped the tottering to stand, and your strength and you have strengthened feeble feet, feeble knees. But now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It touches you and you are dismayed. Is not your fear of God your confidence? And the integrity of your ways your hope? Remember now. Whoever perished being innocent? Or where were the upright destroyed? According to what I have seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it. By the breath of God they perish, and the, by the blast of his anger they have come to an end. The roaring of the lion and the voice of the fierce lion and the teeth of the young lions are broken. The lion perishes for lack of prey, and the whelps of the lioness are scattered. Eliphaz starts off his first speech, his first response, sounding pretty hostile. And in verse, in verse 2, he begins by saying, If one ventures a word with you, will you become impatient? But who can refrain from speaking? You know, Job, are you going to let me speak? Are you going to really listen? Or are you just going to dismiss the things I say and become impatient? Now, the friends are sitting with Job. They're with Job because they care about him. And they want to be helpful. The things that the friends say are supposed to be helpful to Job. Now, not everything they say is right. Now, everything they say is in a helpful way. A lot of it's in a very condemning, very condescending way. But their true intentions, at least here in the beginning of the book, is that they really care and they want to help. And so they're the kind of friends that are willing to tell Job what they think he needs to hear. But the problem is they don't know what he needs to hear. What they tell him is what they think he needs to hear, not what he does need to hear. And so, Eliphaz begins by saying, Look, Job, you need to take your own advice. Because look what Job used to do. He used to help those people who were in need. He admonished many in verse 3 and strengthened weak hands. And he, in his words in verse 4, helped the tottering to stand and strengthened feeble feet, feeble knees. And so, Job was really this mentor this man who was helpful to those who needed it. He was there. And yet now Eliphaz says in verse 5, 
Now that you have become the person you need, now that you have become suffering and you have become weak, now, Job, you're the one who's impatient. Now that it's happened to you, you're upset. You know, when it was everybody else that was hurting, you were okay. You were able to help and point them to the Lord. But now that you're the one suffering, to you it seems unbearable. And so Eliphaz tells Job, Job, you're being hypocritical. You need to take your own advice and turn to the Lord even though you're suffering. Job, you need to help yourself and to find help and to listen to me, your friend, who is going to tell you wisdom. You need to listen up. And so Eliphaz here acknowledges Job's fear of God and Job's integrity in verse 6. And he asks him, Is your fear of God your confidence? Is not your fear of God your confidence, Job? And your integrity and the integrity of your ways, your hope? Job, isn't your confidence in, in your hope, in your relationship with God, in your righteousness? It was for Job. And yet, to Eliphaz, it seemed as though Job perhaps wasn't trusting in the Lord like he should have been. Perhaps Eliphaz is trying to tell Job, Job, come on, man. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And so again, Job and his three friends, they all had the same misunderstanding. The same mis, uh, the same misunderstanding the same error in their thinking, that they think that if you are suffering, it is a result of sin. But that's not always true. Because did Job sin? Job had not deserved this punishment. Now, Job is going to sin in some of the things he says to God. But Job is not suffering because of sin. That's why they all think he's suffering. And that's why Job is so uh, stricken with pain and with hurt. Because he wants to know, God, why are you hurting me? I've done nothing wrong. Because Job believes that the wicked are the ones who suffer. We need to be careful that we don't just accept or believe something because everybody else does. Just because Job and his three friends all believed the same thing about God and the same thing about suffering, Job was a wise man. And perhaps these three friends themselves at least believed themselves to be wise. But just because everybody else thinks something doesn't mean it's true. We need to be careful that we don't just believe something because the church says so, or because our parents say so, or because the elders say so, or the preacher, or whoever says so. No, we must believe the truth. We must believe what God says. And so a lot of the arguments found in this book 
by all parties, not just Job's friends, but Job himself, and perhaps even Elihu later in the book himself, they all are based, or at least partially, on this assumption that suffering is from sin. And yet that is only an assumption that's not always true. There are some who suffer, like Job, as a test, and as a way to build their character. The New Testament in Romans 5 and in James 1, it tells us that suffering is a joyous occasion because it's building our character, it's making us stronger in the Lord. And so whether we're suffering from things going on in the world, things happening to us, we need not always assume that suffering is because of something we've done, because perhaps it is simply just a test, simply just building our character. That's not to say that we don't suffer because of consequences. We absolutely do. But we need to realize that not everything is some sort of consequence to evil. Sometimes we suffer as a consequence for being righteous. That's exactly why Job is suffering. He's suffering because he's righteous. When that is the case, we need to rejoice. Because we are building our character if we continue to stay strong in the Lord. Eliphaz believes that there are no innocent people who have ever died as a punishment. He believes that there, no one's ever, no innocent person has ever suffered anything for being innocent, for being righteous. And so, really, Eliphaz doesn't see Job as innocent as eyes. And so the friends will do this a lot to Job. Well, they will say, almost in a hypothetical sense, that there's this person or there's this group that either suffer or don't suffer or, or, or God does something to this group. But really, they're disguising the fact that that group or that category or that person that they're addressing it's really Job himself. And so, uh, it, later in the book, we will see some of those examples of them using kind of general terms to address Job himself. And so in verse 7, it says, Now remember, who has ever perished being innocent? Or where were the upright destroyed? No one's ever died. No one's ever suffered for being innocent. So, Eliphaz himself says, Job, you're not innocent because no innocent person has ever suffered. Eliphaz relies on his own observations. And essentially, Eliphaz believes the saying, you reap what you sow. Because in verse 8, he says, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest this destruction, this suffering, they harvest the results of his, their iniquity and their trouble. And so Eliphaz believes, you reap what you sow. And so what he's telling Job is, you're reaping suffering from the sins that you have committed. We need to remember Proverbs 3. 
verses 5 through 6, in which Solomon says, in chapter 3, verse 5 through 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. And that's really the fundamental problem with the three friends with Job. Because all of them are relying on their own understanding, their own observations, their own ideas, instead of waiting on the Lord, trusting the Lord, and really waiting for the Lord to tell them the truth. God waits till the end of the book to speak. And yet, the three friends in Job all think that they know exactly what God's doing. They have no clue. They're not even close. We need to wait for the Lord to answer us. Do not lean on your own understanding. Verse 6, in all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. We need to wait on the Lord. And we need to take the warnings of this book. Don't lean on your own observations, your own understanding, because if you do, you will likely come to the wrong conclusion. And you will be dead wrong in your quote-unquote wisdom, in your self-righteousness, in your trying to help other people who are suffering and who are hurting, or perhaps you yourself are suffering and hurting. If you do not turn to the Lord and find the answers in God, you will perhaps come to the wrong conclusions on why you are suffering or why other people are hurting. So Eliphaz believed that God punishes wicked people and not the righteous. And that's true. God does punish wicked people. But that does not mean, that does not mean that the righteous never go through anything hard. There are people who are Christians who believe that Christianity is just this big happy party, part of this big happy family. Nothing ever is going wrong. All God's going to do is bless me and help me. And everything's going to be great. If I just give so much to the church, then I'm just going to be blessed by God. And everything's going to be great. And there's not going to be any suffering, any pain, any problems. Because I'm a Christian. That's not true. Yes, the Lord wants to bless us. And yes, the Lord doesn't punish righteous people. Unless they've sinned. But we need to realize that just because we're a Christian, just because we're righteous, does not mean that life's just going to be a walk in the park. We will go through hard things. We will suffer. We will be persecuted. And if we're not, perhaps we need to examine ourselves and see if we really are in the faith and see if we really are serving the Lord the way we ought to. And then Eliphaz says in verse 10, excuse me, in verse 9, that the breath, by the breath of God, these wicked people that God punishes, these people who reap what they sow, a.k.a. Job, that by the breath of God, they perish. God's going to punish them. They're going to reap what they sow. And by the blast of his anger, they come to an end. God's going to punish them. God's going to kill them because of their wickedness. Job 
got to repent, man. You're being wicked. You've sinned. You're being punished. God's going to kill you. God's going to make you perish. Watch out. And so then in verse 10, the roaring of the lion and the, and the, and the voice of the fierce lion and the teeth of the young lions are broken. These wicked people are described as lions. And yet God is going to punish them. The strong, wicked men are punished by an even stronger God. Who else in the Bible is described as a lion? In 1 Peter, in chapter 5, and in verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So these wicked men in Job were described like a lion, and Satan himself is described by Peter as a lion. The truth is, we are like our fathers. Jesus and the Gospel of John will say to the Jews, You claim to be sons of Abraham, and yet you are liars just like your father, the devil. We are all like our fathers in some way. And maybe you're not like your physical father, but you are like the people you imitate. You are like your father figures in your life. There are people that you imitate, that you are like, whether you do it on purpose or not. And those can be called your fathers. And so no saying was not the Jews' literal father, but they act like him, thus he is their mental, spiritual father. And so there are people today that can be our spiritual fathers in that sense. And we need to be careful that we imitate the Lord, that we imitate Christians, that we imitate people that are trying to serve God faithfully. Because if we're not serving the Lord faithfully, if we are not imitating good people, we can become wicked, strong lions that God will punish. So again, Eliphaz perhaps may be speaking somewhat in general terms about wicked people in general. But at the heart of his argument, he's really directing this to Job. Job, you may be strong, but God will punish if you do not repent. Let's continue reading here in verse 12. Now the word was brought to me stealthily, and my ear received a whisper of it. Amid disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, dread came upon me and trembling, and made all my bones shake. Then a spear passed by my face, the hair of my flesh bristled up. It stood still, and I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence when I heard a voice. Can mankind be just before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? He puts no trust even in his servants, and against his angels he charges error. 
How much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before the moth. Between morning and evening they are broken in pieces. Unobserved, they perish forever. Is not their tent cord pl uh, plucked up within them? They die, yet without wisdom. So Eliphaz tells Job that he's had this great vision. Eliphaz has heard this message from this unknown source. Did you catch that? He does not say that it's from God. It is simply, in verse 15, a spirit. Was it an angel? Was it God? Was it something else? Was it a ghost? We have no record. Eliphaz gives no other details besides it's just some sort of spirit. And so, this great vision that he's had, this mystical vision in which this spirit uh, passes, passes across by his face in front of him and he's trembling in verse 14 and he's got this dread and his bones are shaking. It's this dramatic dream. You know, it's like Eliaphaz says, I had this dream the other day. And really, this dream, you can't get any more ambiguous any more general, any more perhaps random than this dream. Nowhere does he say this is a message from God. Nowhere does he say this message has, has XYZ's authority. No, it's just this random dream he had by, and then some random spirit came along and told him these things. And even... Eliaphaz says in verse 16 that the spirit stood still, but he really couldn't even see the spirit. You know, it was just kind of this perhaps blurry figure. You can only really see the outline. Isn't this dream just ridiculous? And apparently this spirit believes that no one can be just before God. That not even angels are trustworthy. And so if angels aren't even trustworthy, if God punishes angels, how much more are men untrustworthy? How much more will God punish men? This dream's a complete joke. It has no authority, no backing. It has no authority. It has, it has no real substance to it. This is a fake dream. Eliaphaz describes this ambiguous event in which either he's completely lying and faking this, or he's seen a false vision, but it's this fake divine encounter filled with, honestly, his own ideas and his own beliefs about the truth. And there is no real revelation here. There is no divine revelation given to Eliaphaz. It is simply a fake dream. But in this dream, this angel, this spirit, this being, whatever it is, believes 
that man cannot be just or trustworthy before God. And they die without wisdom. And so, can, a man, can God trust man? Can man stand just before his maker? Eliphaz says, or the Spirit says, in which Eliphaz is quoting, says, no. That's the implied answer here. That no, they can't be. Can man be just and be trustworthy before the Lord? Are they able to gain wisdom here on earth before they die? Is man able to stand justified before the Lord? Or are they simply just hopeless, helpless, crushed, broken in pieces, unobserved, perished forever? Those who dwell in houses, in verse 19, houses of clay, their foundation is dust, crushed before the moth, they're broken, unobserved, perished. Can man stand justified before the Lord? Can they have wisdom before they die? Or are they just going to be killed, forgotten? No hope. The answer is no. A life has is wrong. And if this was a real dream that Eliphaz had, this fake encounter, if he's telling the truth here, then the spirit is wrong. And the only way that Eliphaz is right is if he puts the condition on for doing these things on our own. If we are trying to live on our own, then no, we cannot stand just before the Lord. We cannot be trustworthy before God. We cannot have true heavenly wisdom. But if we are in Christ, trying to live and have a relationship with God, we can stand justified in the blood of Christ before the Lord. We can find heavenly spiritual wisdom here on earth. We can stand justified. We can stand trustworthy before the Lord. Does that mean we're going to be perfect? No. But with the blood of Christ, God has and can wash away our sins. And we can come boldly into the throne room of God. We can be justified. So is the life I is correct? Only in the sense of we're trying to do this all on our own. But with the Lord and in Christ, we can stand justified. And so Eliaphaz's first part of this argument, Eliaphaz, his answer in chapter 4 is continued in chapter 5. So Lord willing, next time we're going to be looking at chapter 5, we'll look at the second part or the second chapter of Eliaphaz's arguments.
Elias has his answer. But in this chapter, in this first part, Eliphaz wants Job to take his own advice, to be patient, to trust in the Lord, to let his fear of God be his confidence and his integrity, his hope. And Job wants, and Eliphaz wants Job to remember that no righteous person ever suffers, that only the wicked are punished, only the wicked suffer. But a lot of what Eliphaz has said, simply not true. Simply not true. And so as we read the book of Job, we're going to have to use a lot of discerning on what is true and what is not. The book of Job does not come out and say, here's where the friends were right, here's where the friends were wrong, here's where Job was right, here's Job was wrong. A lot of it is left open to interpretation. A lot of it is left open to our own judgments. And so we perhaps may not always make the perfect judgment. We may not always come to the right conclusion of what they say. We will try our best to use the wisdom and the intellect that the Lord has given us to discern right from wrong in the book of Job. And so I hope this help, this podcast, this episode was helpful. And starting this next section, we're going to have to use discernment. And so I hope that this will give you a groundwork and a basis on which to study the book of Job, in which you yourself will be able to discern right from wrong and realize that not everything said here is correct. And maybe I should make this point as well, that a lot of what the friends say to Job is incorrectly applied to Job, yet is correct in and of itself. Let me give you an example. Is it true that the wicked are punished and the righteous are not? Is it true that the wicked are the ones punished and the righteous are not? That is true. Remember, we looked at that earlier in this podcast, earlier in this episode. It is true that God only punishes the wicked. But applied to Job, it's incorrect because Job is not suffering because of wickedness. He's not suffering because of sin. He's suffering because of a test. Because of his righteousness. There's a difference. And so, even though some of the things we're going to see here are correct in and of themselves, it's misapplied. And so, when we are trying to help people, when we are trying to study with people, we need to listen to them. So that we can better and more accurately understand why they're suffering, why they're hurting, why they're going through the things they are. Because if we just rely on, our, on ourselves and our own observations without truly listening, we will misapply principles. We can even misapply biblical principles to situations that we have decided we know better than them and in situations in which we have decided, I already know the answers. I don't need to learn more about the situation. That is foolish. And the, one of the big lessons we can learn from the friends is that you can have wisdom. You can know the truth. Side note, not everything they say is true. Not everything they say is right. They're not totally wise. But they do have some true principles. But just because you may be wise, you may know some things that are totally 100% true, 
And they can be said in the pulpit and we can all say amen. But just because that they are true doesn't mean that they always apply in every situation. Take the book of Proverbs, for example. There are two Proverbs back to back. Do not answer a fool according to his folly. And then the Proverbs writer Solomon says, answer a fool according to his folly. There are times that principles need to be applied, and there are times that other principles need to, be, need to be applied. And so we need the wisdom and the discernment to know, hey, this person needs this, or this person needs that, and we need to be listening. We need to be slow to speak and quick to hear. James chapter 1. And so don't think just because you know a lot of things means that you are good at applying. There's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. Some perhaps would say that knowledge is having information, while wisdom is knowing how to apply that information. And so I challenge us all to seek wisdom, not just knowledge. Thank you all so much for listening. Lord willing, in the next episode, we will examine Job chapter 5. I hope that you all have a blessed rest of your day. And may we continue to learn and to study and to see accurately and to interpret accurately the words of God. Thank you all for listening.